Welcome and thanks for joining us here at the Bethel Church Podcast. For more information about Bethel and who we are, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. We hope you are encouraged and that you find hope in today's message. When Jesus came to this earth, he, uh, he knew He knew that this week that we've just celebrated was his mission, it was his trajectory, it was the reason he had come to this earth. He had not come to this earth to be popular, he had not come to this earth to write a best-selling book. He had come to this earth for the reason of going to the cross. But not just going to the cross, but busting up out of that grave. That was his his purpose for being here. Jesus knew this was in his future. And I think many of us, um, we sit on the sidelines and we see the seriousness surrounding the sanctity of the cross and the joy surrounding the power of the resurrection. And we know that something amazing happened, but yet we don't fully know what happened. How many of you know there's a difference between knowing and knowing? It's one thing to know, and it's another thing to know, right? I, um, I know of a lot of people, but I don't have intimacy with a lot of people. I don't know them on this level. This morning, this Easter, I want to ask you to do more than just learn facts. I want to ask you to let the words of the Lord penetrate into your heart and really chew on what they mean. You see, before the resurrection, there was a death. Before the death, there was a cross, but on that cross, Jesus did something miraculous. Now, many of you are thinking, of course he did something miraculous on the cross. But I'm thinking of something different. I'm thinking that while Jesus was on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind, while he was taking his last breath, dying a torturous death, he still had compassion for the man to his left and the man to his right. This morning, we're going to look at two accounts of the crucifixion, and we're going to hone in on the two thieves, the one that was to his left, the one that was to his right. And we're going to read the first account out of Matthew, and then we're going to read the other account out of Luke. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm about to say some things that many of you might already know, but here's a word of advice for you. The, the, Lord sa- the word of the Lord says this, that the older believers are to bear the burdens for the younger believers. So when you're being told something that you already know, just smile at me and say amen, just like you have never heard it before. Can I get an amen? Okay, good. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, that's four gospels. It's four different dudes' perspective on the life of Jesus. You know, one of them was a finance guy, another one was a doctor, and another one gave himself the title, The Beloved. By the way, I don't know if you ever noticed, nobody else called him that. Anyways. (laughs) But uh, they all came from different perspectives. So when one gospel says something different than another gospel, it's not that it's necessarily, it's not contradicting, it's supplementing. If, If all the gospels said the exact same thing, In a court of law, we would call that collusion. Anybody ever heard that before? 
And all the testimonies would be dismissed because it was evident that they had gotten together and decided to agree so that their testimony was more believable. So when you get four people in a room and they're all bringing four different perspectives, it actually makes the truth more believable. Because this couple right here is looking at me from a different perspective than the couple back there. They're gonna see different stuff. I mean, can I get an amen? So we go to Matthew Chapter 27, verse 38 through 44. Then two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. That was a prophecy that Jesus had made. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. That's the second insult. So also the chief priest with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Now I wanna make sure you understand who's mocking him. The chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. All of these people would have had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. What does that tell you? You can have the word of God in your Mind and still not know Jesus. In fact, you're going to see in a moment where the thief was closer to Jesus than the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Another insult. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Another insult. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Another insult. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now y'all see the S on the end of robber, right? So the two robbers at this point in the story, both of them were dogging Jesus. They were jumping in on the insults. Now there's a lot of irony in the insults. They told him to save himself to prove that he would fulfill his own prophecy to destroy the temple in three days, not knowing that the temple he was talking about was himself. They made fun of him and said that if you are the son of God, come down from the cross, not understanding that because he was the perfect sacrificial son of God, that was the actual reason he would stay on the cross. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang out with me. They proclaimed that if he could save others, why not save himself being blinded to the fact that by not saving himself, he was saving the lost from their sins. They gave him an insulting title, King of the Jews, and said that if he come off the cross, they would believe him. They even questioned his trust in the Lord, yet it was his complete trust and obedience that led him to a place of immense sacrifice. Along with the rest of the crowd, both of the thieves were insulting and mocking Jesus. Both of the thieves were blinded to the truth by their sin. You see, even if Jesus had come off the cross, those people would have not believed him. These were the same people that had seen Jesus turn water into wine. 
They were the same people who, had, who knew the woman with the issue of blood who had spent her entire life savings on getting treated by doctors and then Jesus healed her just by one touch of the hem of his garment. They were the same people that had seen Jesus heal people of leprosy, how he had given sight to the blind and how he had caused lame people to walk again. If he had come off the cross, they wouldn't have believed him. How could they see all these things and yet still not believe? It's kind of scary. This is the effect that sin has on us. The scary thing about deception is this, is that when we are really truly deceived, we do not know that we are deceived. And it takes the Spirit of God breaking through the hardness of our heart to show the level of deception or in the life of the believer, it might even take another believer helping you break through to a place where you are no longer deceived. You see, many people think that we are saved from individual sins, and we are. We are saved from lust. We are saved from adultery. We are saved from jealousy and gossip, and we are saved from idolatry. But more than we are saved from individual sins, we are saved from a sin nature. How many of you see what I'm saying? We're saved from being in a condition where we could see the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins and mock him. You know that Bible, the Bible teaches us that before we are saved, we are enemies of God. So you weren't saved from good and made better. You were saved from the wrath of God when you were saved because you were an enemy of God. Well, Pastor Dean, I, I hear what you're saying, but enemy, that's kind of a stretch. Well, first of all, I can explain it to you, and I think it'll make sense, but he said it. I believe it. It is done. Honestly, you could probably take out I believe it. He said it. It is done. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, right? But look, even though you might have never mocked God with your mouth, we have all been in a state where we mocked him with our life. We lived as if he had not paid a great price for our sins. Can I get an amen? Somebody who realized that you, you have some mess ups, you have a point in your life, yeah, where you needed what Christ did on the cross. Mm. All right, I need to keep getting moving. This thief, man, he really did get, go down to the last few minutes of his life. Because as we read in, in the account of Matthew, in the last few breaths of his life, he was still mocking Jesus. But then Luke comes in, whew, Everybody say, thanks, Luke. <laughs> in chapter 23, verses 32 through 43, and he gives us another part of the story. And you can see where they overlap and then where Luke shares something else that happened. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him when they came to the place that is called the skull. There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many of you know the end of the story here? Wave at me, I'm just curious. How many know that the thief, he confesses Jesus as the Son of God? 
How many of you know that that happened? I had many people come to me before and they're like, Pastor Daniel, I don't think that the thief was saved because he wasn't baptized. And I'm like, Jesus loves you. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but doesn't someone have to hear the gospel? Doesn't, don't they have to be taken down the Romans road? And they're like, oh, Lord, help them. Um, the Romans road is just a further explanation on what Jesus said right here. Jesus preached the gospel when he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We see all the elements of the gospel in just that simple phrase. He calls out to God the Father. How many of you see this? He, he, he says, forgive them. In other words, he's showing the people around the cross that they have a real true condition of a sin problem and that they need to be saved. And then he says, they don't know what they're doing. In other words, he says this, they're so wrapped up in their sin problem that they can't even see that they have a sin problem. So the gospel is preached in that one line, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. They heard that we had a sin problem. They heard that it's not just that we're unable to fix it, but we don't even see the problem. And then they heard the great intercessor going to the Father on their behalf saying, based off of what I'm about to do, Forgive them. Bring them into relationship with you. And the thief evidently says to himself, and by the way, this is the unauthorized version of the Bible. Maybe I could be one of those who he's talking about. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But now you see the heart change in the other thief. The other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Do you see it? This is the first fruits of salvation, a fear of God, an understanding that, that God is God and we are not. I, I don't know, how many of you grew up in church? Let me see. I grew up in this church. It, it's hard to believe, but I've been here for 38 years and some change. Say amen or oh me. No, it's been awesome. Awesome. But I remember as a kid, now, by the way, if you, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not a person that throws shade. If I had an issue with something you were doing, I'd probably even say it right now. So nobody get upset. But when I was a kid, when the preaching of the word was coming forward or the singing of, of biblical songs or the, actually the entire time that we were in service together, you didn't get up and go to the bathroom. 
In fact, there was this saying, it was this, is like the only reason you should get up is if you have a baby or you've got the itch. And if you got the itch, you better borrow a baby because then we'll know you have the itch. <laughs> now, I can remember as a kid one time, the spirit of the Lord was moving and, and, and people's hearts were being drawn. And I'm like, mom, I got to go to the bathroom. And mom was like, you should have gone before. Sit still. I, agree. I get it. You know, sometimes you just got to go. But can I want to just ask you this question with us? Do you fear God? There's so much emphasis on the loving side of God that sometimes we forget that God is the God that opens up the earth and swallows the rebellious. I mess with Pastor Blake all the time. Like, Pastor Blake, I want this whole string of worship songs about the wrath of God to be written. Open up the earth, rain down fire. Yeah, it's funny until you're on the other end of it. <laughs> God is to be revered, to be respected. He was not created for our glory. We were created for his. He is not a moralistic, therapeutic, divine butler that if we put the right string of words together, we can get him to wait on us hand and foot. We exist for his glory. He does not exist for ours. And regardless of what side of the theological table you find yourself, whether or not the thief had to admit that he feared God or whether it was something that he started seeing because of the work of the Spirit in his life, we still come to the same conclusion conclusion that to be saved, you must first fear God. You must first understand that he is a wrathful God who will pour out judgment on the unrighteous. And that's not mean. In fact, if he didn't, he wouldn't be a just God and we couldn't serve him. If there was a judge sitting in Wayne County right now, and when someone did something wrong, he just said, Psh, whatever. Man, we would be picketing, yelling, and screaming. Take him off the throne. But God is a God of righteous wrath. How many of you see this? They're like, this is, this is not, they're like, Daniel, this is not Easter message material right here, man. I really was hoping to feel better. I was hoping you would tell us to live our best life now. No, the honest truth is this. God does want you to live your best life now. Amen. And if I can borrow a quote from a guy I like to read after, you will, you will live your best life now when you understand and you grasp that you will be most satisfied when you are most satisfied with just him. Amen. Many times what we think we want is not what we really want. It's just our way of patching up the holes in our hearts. You think that a new house is going to make you feel better. No, I won't. It'll just give you a bigger mortgage. Then he says this, and we, verse 41 let me read verse 40 because this one doesn't make sense if I don't read it with it. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Verse 41. And we indeed justly. 
For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He confessed his sin as sin and accepted his just just punishment for his sin when he said this. You know, a repentant heart, a real repentant heart, understands that they do not deserve forgiveness, but humbly takes up the offer of Jesus. Please hear me out. We don't deserve eternal life. God don't owe it to us. Entitlement stuff reaches deeper than just financial and physical and mental. It even reaches down into our spiritual beings where we think we're entitled to what Christ did. And when reality, we're not entitled. What we deserve is we deserve to be separated from God because of our sin. Hmm. But it's beautiful. You're like, man, I don't deserve it. Well, that just makes me feel this small. In other words, God doesn't need us. He wants us. He doesn't need us. He chose us. I'll take it any day of the week. I'd rather be wanted and chosen than needed. Let me just give you a little piece of advice, just a little takeaway about repentance that you can even apply. Because when the Bible says that when sin came into the earth, we were not just separated from God, we were actually separated from others. Our sin separates us from each other too. A real true repentant heart never walks in the room and demands that people forgive them. A real true repentant heart understands that forgiveness is not deserved, but humbly takes up the offer that Jesus gives us. You see, the empty tomb isn't anything special if we don't understand the cross. But the cross isn't as magnificent if you don't understand the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But the sacrifice of Jesus means nothing if we don't understand that we are sinners. And I'll be honest with y'all, y'all look good this morning. I mean, y'all are a good looking people. Some of you, you got, you got dolled up, dressed up, you, you put on makeup. Some of you, it looks like you might have even, you know, dyed your hair a little bit. I'm, I'm going to get away from that when I felt some grumblings. But you did a real good job. But can I just remind you real fast that beneath that veneer is a sinner in need of grace. I want to just ask you this really quick. How many of you remember what God saved you from? I'm going to say it like our founding pastor used to say it. How many of you remember the rock you were hewn out of? The miry clay that he reached down and he reshaped and reformed? See, the gospel, we say this all the time. It's not just for the unbeliever. It's for the believer too, to remember what we've been brought from. You didn't always talk the way you talk now. You didn't always think the way you think now. And when we forget 
the mess that we've been saved from, saints, let me talk to you for a second. When we forgive the mess that we've been delivered from and saved from, we become nasty, sourpuss saints. We judge. We're hard to lead. When we walk in here and we turn our nose up, at people who might be going through recovery, which basically just means they've learned to be honest about their mistakes because we all have hurts, hangups, and addictions. Can I get an amen? amen? But you see this heart, this repentant heart. You can't grasp God's mercy in Jesus' sacrifice until you come to terms with the fact that we are all Thieves. But mercy hung on the cross and grace walked out of the tomb. He took the penalty for our sin. He did not owe it. We did it. But he took it for us. And then grace busted up out of the tomb, giving us the power to walk in the freedom that was granted to us through what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was really cutting it close, wasn't he, y'all? I mean, seriously, how many of y'all say he's cutting it close, right? Can I just tell you, though, really quick? Like, if you live to be average age, 77 years, compared to eternity, we're cutting it close to compared to infinity forever. We're in the same, but you really honestly see, we're really not that far from the thief. Now, if you're saved, you know, you've been changed and you walk in that freedom. But I will tell you this. It's there. There's not, there's, there's nothing better for the maturity of the saints to remember that this is where we were. This is what we've been saved from. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today you will be in paradise. In another translation, it says, verily, verily, I say to you, today you'll be in You know what verily, verily means, right? It means I'm not playing. It means for real. Students, it means... I'm going to say it. No cap. <laughs> I'm still getting used to it. No cap. It means I'm not joking. Like this is really going to happen today. You will be with me in paradise. The thief had no time to grasp the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He had no time to learn any hymns or learn any worship music. He had no time to go back, this is for my older saints, and change the radio presets in his car. <laughs> Can I tell you one of the joys of being 38 years old is that sometimes I say things and I look at our teenagers and they're not laughing because they don't think it's funny. They're laughing because they just don't understand what's happening right now. So a radio preset in your car 
there's this thing called a radio. And it doesn't stream music from the internet. Never mind. All right, we'll, we'll work on this later, okay? How many of y'all, teenage, you're a teenager and you listen to the radio? Let me see. One, two, three, four, five. How many of you, you're older than 30 and you still listen to the radio? Can you raise your hand? Look at Oh, I love it. Next Sunday, we're starting a new series called Landlines. <laughs> Landlines and cassette tapes. We'll be playing Boys to Men during worship. <laughs> no, baby. There was no time for this thief to grasp the doctrine of this, that, and the other. There was no time for this thief to learn the Romans road. There was no time for this thief to attend church. There was no time for him to join a process group. That don't mean you shouldn't. There was no time for the thief to come back the Sunday after Easter. But if you have time, you can come back to Sunday after Easter. I'm just messing with y'all. We're so glad you're here. If you ain't been here ever, if this is your first time or you just come on Easter, we're just happy you're here. I'm just going to be honest with you. There was no time for the thief to take next steps. No time for him to sign up to serve in the kids' ministry. We would have really known he was saved then, right? There would have been no debate. It was just Jesus. Don't make this harder than it is. It's always been just Jesus and it will always be just Jesus. And if when you stand before God and he asks you, are you saved? And should you come into heaven? And he's asked you why? And your sentence starts with an I, you've already missed it. It's Jesus. Not the man on the left, not the man on the right, but the man that was on the middle cross. It was just Jesus. And it's so hard for us Especially if you grew up in the South and you were always taught church attendance and this and that and the other and you got to do this and you got to do that. Those are fruits of salvation, but they never bring about salvation. You can be a thief dying on a cross, taking your last breath and take one look at Jesus and your life be completely changed. The thief on the cross, he's told Jesus, he said, remember me when you, in other words, he had some distant time in mind, but Jesus said today. Don't walk out of here. If the spirit of the Lord is drawing you and say, you know what? Like I'll get it right when I, when I quit this. When I quit that, I got to get it cleaned up. I got to get it worked out. No, that's not how we come to Christ. We come to Christ broken. Please hear me. We come to Christ like this thief. 
We've been telling people to come home all year long. And I've sat across the table from people and I'm like, hey, come home. And they're like, what does that even mean? I'm like, look, God, he created you to have a relationship with him. And, and I go through the gospel and they're like, look, man, you don't understand. Like, I'm really messed up. And I'm sitting there listening and I'm like, well, maybe you don't hear what I'm saying. All the reasons you're telling me that you shouldn't come home are exactly the reasons you should come home. All the reason you're telling me all the stuff that you're doing wrong and the way your life doesn't line up with God's word. I'm like, have you, I think you're just missing it. I don't think you get what I'm saying. And I'm sorry if somebody told you that you had to do this, that, and the other to be right with the Lord. No, you, you just come home. You accept the free gift of salvation. We're saved by grace, not by our works. If we could work our way to the Father, we would walk around bragging about it all the time. That's what scripture says. thief had a, had a distant time in mind, but Jesus said, no, no, no. Today, you will be with me. The thief on the cross, look at it. He asked only to be remembered. But Jesus said, no, you'll be with me. And the thief, look, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, no. He said, I, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to be with me in home. Come home. I want you to get this image as you stand. Let me stand up. <laughs> Y'all are good looking, but you're not the sharp. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm messing. That was really a joke. I want you to get this image. You got three crosses. How many of you see the three crosses right now? Now, three days later, I want you to see an empty tomb. But on the three crosses, you got one man who is dying in his sin. On the other side, you got one man whose heart is being regenerated right here before our eyes, and he is dying his sin but right in the middle you've got one who is dying for our sin it's never too late to come home it's never too late you've never gone too far you've never done too much in fact the longer your rap sheet is if we were going to be honest with each other, the longer your rap sheet is and the more you realize how vile you are, you're actually that much closer to salvation. So what the world says to us and what the scribes and the chief priests and the Pharisees and religion tells us is this, is that we've got to do all these things to be saved. And Jesus says, no. Nah. You see, the thief, he had nails in his hands so he couldn't work. He had nails in his feet so he couldn't work 
he couldn't run errands for Christ. Literally, completely helpless, immobile, immovable. Nothing he could do except what? Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Look, if this is how you feel today, awesome. Praise the Lord. You realize you can't lift one finger to be saved. The man on the middle cross is saying, Father, forgive them. They know what, what they do. And if you're, your heart right now is being moved to be saved, it is a gift from God for this moment. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Are you here this morning and you feel the Spirit of the Lord drawing you to be saved? Will you just slip up your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm being, I see, praise God, amen. Anybody, anywhere else, anybody? You say, that's me. The Spirit of the Lord is drawing me to be saved. I want you to lift your hand. That's you. We want to pray with you. Anybody, anywhere. If you're online right now and you're watching and the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you of your sin problem and you're seeing Jesus as the Savior, let someone know in, in the chat box. All right. For those of you that raised your hand, I, I want to just tell you something real fast. And you can look at me. Coming to an altar doesn't save you. Repeating a prayer doesn't save you. In fact, in fact, while the gospel is going forward, salvation is working inside of you. But the Bible does say, if we confess Jesus as the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Can we lift our hands to heaven right now? We all just do that. If you're saved, just do it all over again. It wouldn't hurt you to wake up every morning, lift both hands to heaven and say, Jesus, you are God's son and God raised you from the dead and I'm gonna live like it. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you. God, we thank you for the, the resurrection. God, I thank you for the souls that are being saved today, for the lives that are being changed. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we go, how many of you would say, Pastor Daniel, I'm, I'm just not really walking in the resurrection power that Jesus says we can have. Anybody, slip up your hand right now. We're not bowing our head. Thank you. I love your honesty. It's one of the things I've always liked about you. Keep your hand up. Anybody else, you say, there's area of my life. Anybody, come on, be honest. I'm just curious to see where we're at, what we're working with. Yeah, there are areas in my life where I'm not walking in the resurrection power of Jesus. There's stuff that we're still struggling with and battling with that Jesus took to the cross and he nailed it to the cross and we don't have to walk in it. Can you just lift up hands to heaven and say, Lord, I ask you right now, come into every area of my life, any component of my life that I have shut off where I have shut you out, where I have failed to believe that you can change radically. God, I repent of that. I repent of my unbelief. And I ask you to change every single part of my life. My marriage, for some of you it's your marriage. My parenting, for some of you it's your parenting. For some of you it's your sex life. For some of you it's the way you handle your finances. 
For some of you, it's what you do from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Oh God, we give you every single part of it. We know that there's better. We know there's resurrection power to walk in. And we're going to do that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.